0: I'm Alex Shaw.
1: I'm Sharon Shaw. And
0: And welcome welcome to School of Movies. Pump up the volume.
2: Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows...
0: Okay, Pump Up the Volume, and this is a very special film for Sharon, uh, who grew up with it, really loving it. Um, introduced me to it way later, like early tw- in my early 20s. And no one's seen it. It, it got $11.5 million, uh, on release. And it's directed by Alan Moyle, who directed Empire Records, another favourite of ours that I did see when I was a teenager that again, no one saw. And I think both of these have kind of become cult favourites. It's taken this long for Pump Up the Volume to get a American Blu-ray. In the It's the Warner Archives, which are kind of like, look, if you want us to print this Blu-ray, we'll print this Blu-ray. And if you buy those, maybe we'll print some more. It's kind of like the most low-key, the, the most low-effort version of getting a Blu-ray out there. Luckily, the transfer is really, really good, which is... A relief because there's been no HD version of this at all and uh, I've often lamented the side road that DVD is we watched The Missing last night 2003 uh, Ron Howard Western starring Kate Blanchette and Tommy Lee Jones and it, just the whole image had been flattened it was lifeless and early DVDs in particular would just crush the life out of films mm. so seeing them get these wonderful new transfers from um, digital houses that know what they're doing and can bring the life back into a film, especially a film that's gone without that level of care and attention, feels special. However, because no one's bloody seen this film, even just us recording on it feels weirdly risky, like it's it, we're only going to be uh, hitting a certain amount of people who know it. So we're going to have to basically just talk about it as though... No one's heard it, and we're introducing you to a secret, because if you look at the unavailability of this in HD, in streaming, on DVD, even the DVD is expensive to track down. This is the movie they don't want you to watch. It's dangerous to the status quo. So we do popular movies, we do the Marvel films, the Star Wars films, and loads of people tune in for them this is an entirely obscure film so we're doing this show collectively for all of you even though statistically speaking a lot fewer of you are going to even bother downloading it but we're really just doing this show for one person and we don't know who that one person is we just know that this film and finding this film will help that one person and that is a good enough reason to do this episode And heads up, folks, there's going to be talk of suicide later on. And we will handle it as compassionately and tactfully as we possibly can. And we're going to make this whole episode feel like a pirate radio broadcast. We're going to play some music, going to play some clips from the film. You know, make a night of it. Like a little hidden... House somewhere that that is not doesn't show up on any map.
1: Yeah, it's also important to note that we are not doing this necessarily with the purpose of selling it for reasons that I will go into. This is a very thirty-year-old movie. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's a uh, it's a very thirty-one-year-old movie.
1: Thirty-one-year-old. <laughs> 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 oh yeah, and that extra one just makes all the difference. <laughs> yeah,
0: that uh, that ex- extra year of experience. So um. The short of it is it I'm not gonna synopsize it, no. but I will say that it takes place in and around a high school in
1: the middle of Arizona. The middle
0: of Arizona, mm. a sleepy kind of suburban place. And
1: I think it's near Phoenix.
0: Yeah. Your key characters are Mark, played by Christian Slater, and Nora, played by Samantha Mathis who were in Broken Arrow the next, like, uh, about six years later, uh, directed by John Woo. And Mark does pirate radio. He broadcasts over the airwaves from his parents' basement. Yes. Uh, they have no idea what's uh, happening, and he does so with the persona of Happy Harry Hardon. Yes. Uh, and he's kind of a, sh- a little bit of a shock jock, but uh, he styles himself more on Lenny Bruce. They even reference Lenny Bruce uh, later on, who is, to, you know, to the average person now, completely forgotten part of uh, uh, comedy history. He was a comedian played by Dustin Hoffman in the uh, bar pick, who rather than doing jokes in his stand-up, kind of developed them into comedic chestnuts and told the truth, sometimes in an uncompromising, often uncomfortable way. Uh, He was then succeeded by uh, George Carlin, Bill Hicks. So it created a brand of humour that many people would find unpalatable
1: yeah well he drew a lot of attention because some of the things that he wanted to look at and explore were taboo subjects or taboo language or you know for some reason these were things that that weren't allowed but it wasn't just a case of I'm going to stand up on stage and say fuck 32 times because that'll piss people off Mm. he wanted to explore why these things are taboo why they're forbidden why it is that when he said those things everybody got up in arms about it he
0: wanted to ask questions and it was at a time when wanting to ask questions was very much against the status quo. Whereas at the moment it seems like I just want to ask questions seems to actually be in favor of the status quo. Why should these people have rights? Why do you keep saying inequality exists when I can clearly see it doesn't? Why should we give these people a leg up? I'm just asking questions. And we're going to be saying status quo about a hundred times in this episode.
1: There has been a significant shift thanks to the rise of the internet, really. That's the, the one significant thing that I think is contributing to this.
0: For the past 21 where years. Where
1: yeah. we've gone from an environment where things are able to be hidden... And an environment where things cannot be hidden and therefore people hide them by flooding them.
0: Yeah, we've mentioned this before, but it's it's the difference between conspiracy theories around the time this film was made and conspiracy theories now. Back in the early 90s, it's what are the government not telling us and, you know, alien abduction and who killed JFK and, and kind of rational things regarding our government are keeping secrets that would probably be very damaging to them if uh, they got out. Like pushing wars to establish or strengthen their foreign connections, allowing people to die, encouraging people to die for America's power interests that only benefit the absolute minority at the top. In that kind of respectable time where newspapers seem to tell the truth. And now it's more uh, the exaggeratedness of the uh, rumours... Uh, Like, you know, Democrats are sacrificing children underneath the uh, uh, the pizzeria. The absurdity of the allegations, because kind of it, it hides the actual shit that they do by making the most outlandish claims.
1: It's the difference between trying to find a needle in a haystack and trying to find a needle in a pit of syringes.
0: I don't think conspiracy theories were so much uh, trying to find a needle in a haystack back in those days. It was more a case of, it stands to reason that certain things like exactly who killed John F. Kennedy, were it known to the intelligence agencies, and it would have been, uh, would be privy to certain... That's not trying to find a needle in a haystack. That's simply being aware that there is a needle in a treasure box somewhere <laughs> locked that's deep been underground. sealed up
1: with tape and buried. <laughs>
0: and you're aware of that needle. You
1: know it's there, yeah. but you don't know where. Okay, now it's
0: fair. a haystack made of needles. Mm. And everywhere you go near it, it hurts you.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Okay, and yet every generation has its Jimmy Hoffa or its Jeffrey Epstein. And let's play you a clip from the beginning when Harry is broadcasting to teenagers around his town who are listening on radios, in their bedrooms, hanging around the football field at night, sat in their parked cars. The teenagers are listening, and this is what the persona of
3: Harry says. Yeah, I can smell it. I can almost taste it, the rankness in the air. It's everywhere. It's running through that old pipeline out there, trickling along that dumb concrete river and coming up through the drains of those lovely tract homes we all live in.
4: So who is he? Just hey, Humphrey.
3: I mean, I don't know. Everywhere I look, it seems everything is sold out.
4: They say this is where the reception is the coolest.
3: Then he probably lives right around here. Fucking yuppies. My dad sold out. And my mom sold out years ago when she had me. And then they sold me out when they brought me to this hole in the world. Hey, they made me everything I am today, so... Naturally, I hate the bastards. Tonight, we have number 12 of 100 things to do with your body when you're all alone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) At this point, Harry simulates fapping himself outrageously. I will spare you all listening to that. He's just clapping his hands together.
3: Yes, hard Harry will go to any length to keep his three listeners glued with ooey-bluey to their radios. But question is, how far will you go? Me. How far can you go to amaze and disgust the insatiable hard Harry, huh? I mean, how serious are you? I ask you that. I'm beautiful. Listener.
0: Listening in her bedroom is Paige Woodward, an overachieving student.
3: You know what I can't figure out? How you manage to get such great grades and you listen to that radio all night, you know? Uh, tomorrow. Don't forget Yale interview. And I don't want you to look too sleepy, you know? You're not sweetheart. Sure
5: Get a lot of letters
3: here, guys. Weird. Dear Hard Harry, my boyfriend won't talk to me anymore. How do I show him that I really love Like, I don't know anything about these letters asking for love advice. I mean, if I knew anything about love, I would be out there making it instead of sitting in here talking to you guys. So, just uh, send me stuff at Box 2710. USA Mail, Paradise Hills, Miss Arizona, 8401. reply is guaranteed. Dear Harry, I think you're boring and obnoxious and have a high opinion of yourself. Of course, some of you are probably thinking I sent this one to myself. I think school is okay if you just look at it right. I mean, I like your music, but I really just don't see why you can't be cheerful for one second. I'll tell you since you asked. Uh, I just arrived in this stupid suburb. I have no friends, no money, no car, no license. And even if I did have a license, all I could do is drive out to some stupid mall. Maybe if I'm lucky, play some fucking video games, smoke a joint and get stupid. You see, there's nothing to do anymore. Everything decent's been done. All the great themes have been used up, turned into theme parks. So I don't really find it exactly cheerful to be living in the middle of a totally like exhausted decade where there's nothing to look forward to and no one to look up to. (sighs) That was deep. (sighs) Oh, no.
5: Not again. The creature stirs. Oh, God, I think it's gonna be a gusher.
3: (sighs) This is the sixth time in an hour. Oh, God. (sighs) He sounds like a chronic masturbator.
4: He prides himself Ah. on it.
3: See, I have to take care of it, oh, or else I'm going to explode. Oh, just excuse me while I, uh, while I, while I, uh, oh, 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 oh. 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 oh, yeah. oh god! oh, oh, yeah, this is the thing. Oh, oh, damn it, oh. Oh. yeah, I'm going to explode. Oh, take cover, Arizona. Get right. Any time now, man. Oh god! Oh, oh god,
2: this
3: the best! Oh god, yeah! Yeah! Reading in last! I'm beat! I'm whipped! Quit in time! Gotta recuperate! There he goes. Sometimes i for five minutes, sometimes i on for five hours.
0: Mark is a shy kid, played by Christian Slater, playing an introvert, uh, which I thought was. It's an unusual role for him at this point. I feel like we need to watch more Christian Slater romantic uh, dramas from around this year. I've never seen Bed of Roses, I've never seen... What's the one with Rosie Perez and uh, Marissa Tomei?
1: Uh, Untamed Heart.
0: Untamed Heart. I think it was
1: called Baboon Heart in America, but it was Untamed Heart. My baboon heart! Body! Rejecting it!
0: But, uh, okay, so Mark is a disaffected boy... Who, in his guise of Harry, comes?
1: Disaffected thirty-two-year-old boy.
0: Yeah, <laughs> comes out of his shell, smokes like a chimney, and simulates masturbating on his po- effectively. He is a, an early filthy podcaster. Yes, but his subject of him, the things he's talking about are social malaise, yeah. and that his generation, Generation X, our generation, and mm-hmm. like, oh, I have a foot in millennial as well. Yeah, I think well, we this this
1: kind of. It, it sort of straddles that boundary between late Gen Xer and very early Millennials, mm. but this came out in 1990, so the yeah. youngest Millennials wouldn't even quite have been teenagers yeah. No.
0: yet. Yeah, no. I'd have been 10 when this came out, so I would not have been uh, suitable for listening to Harry's show, as are none of these high school kids. <laughs>
1: I think it's pretty quickly established nobody is really suitable for listening to Harry's show. But the
0: film effectively frames this as this is a kid who is afraid of everything, but in this one place is a Able to question what feels like a hostile, restrictive environment, specifically for teenagers. And he's listened to by a bunch of extremely well-meaning, nice, decent, good-hearted kids who are all being screwed over, seemingly, in some capacity or another. They find him hilarious and entertaining, and when he starts getting deep, they're totally on board for it. And even when you know when he starts getting deep, he kind of like stops himself and just belches extremely loudly in a kind of a...
1: Whoa! Makes a dirty joke or something.
0: Yeah. Mark is pushing and pushing at this, not quite sure where it's going to go. Okay. So talk me through it. Why did you love this film? And obviously talk us through the character of Nora as well.
1: Okay. So um, I would say one of the reasons why I connected with this film really, really hard, and when I saw it, I probably would have been about maybe 13 or 14. It would have been a couple of years after it came out because I would have seen it on, um, on video. Mm-hmm. It kind of... Not that this is how I would have identified it at the time, but it's a bit Baby's First Rebellion.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: And for those of us who grew up with a protected but fairly regimented childhood, there was a lot of appeal in the way that this did not mock or diminish feeling extremely restricted when on the surface you live in a very privileged environment Mm. it's
0: at no point does it ever say first world problems
1: yeah and it's a contemporary
0: the 90s equivalent of that uh, sentiment
1: yeah um and it's a contemporary of heathers uh it came out a couple of years after heathers and obviously christian slater was in that as well
0: i'd say it's got almost more in common with rebel without a cause than it has with heathers
1: yeah no no no. i'm not that's that's what i'm saying yeah you're right it's it's a contemporary it's a contemporary of heathers but it separates itself from heathers by um by virtue of how it looks at similar subjects obviously heathers is built around the concept of teenage suicide which is something that crops up in this
0: it's handled compassionately in the film
1: Mm. unlike the way it is in heathers in which yeah it's... in
0: heathers it's a dark joke and yeah. uh, it takes a while for the film to write itself and uh, examine this in a moral capacity
1: exactly and you've got other things going on like though the... i still do
0: like heathers a lot
1: oh yeah no 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 it's a great film but it's coming at these these issues from a very different perspective yeah but this is more there can be shit going on that nobody talks about and because nobody talks about it Just by virtue of the silence, it can leave you feeling like you are totally alone and nobody would understand you, even if you said anything. And it it really fires up a sense of how isolated you can be when you are surrounded by people, particularly when you are surrounded by people who are supposed to be your community, who are supposed to be your support. And even sometimes when they are well-meaning, not by any stretch that everybody in this, uh, you know, all the authority figures in this are well-meaning, but some of them are. They are very misguided, but they are well-meaning, but they are not providing the kids with the platform the opportunity or the freedom to explore the things they need to explore to be able to get through this shit it's that sense of we've created this incredibly structured path for you to follow and i think mark even verbalizes it at one point get good grades get a girlfriend get married get a house have a family this this ladder is laid out for you almost at birth And if you start to veer off it at any point because you think, oh, there's something over there that I might be interested in, or this really isn't right for me, I really need to try something different, you are nudged back onto the ladder, whether gently or more forcefully.
0: All the kids seem to hang out in groups of one or two.
1: It's only towards the end that they really start yeah, to cluster into groups. together. Group.
0: It's it's completely the opposite of something like say Days Are Confused, where all the kids draw together as much as they can. It feels like there has been a period of isolation from the seventies through eighties to, to now the beginning of the nineties. The kids almost waiting for the internet to come along and give them communities yeah, to find.
1: Exactly, and this is like a very early prototype of that, not just the technology side of it, but the concept, the idea that you can be staring at somebody across the table, day in and day out, for years and years and years, and never have the language, the opportunity, or the uh, the courage to say something that that person might recognise. But what Harry ends up providing this particular student body with are tapes of his show that they record and hand around and swap and sell and exchange with each other and they provide the students with this focus point, that he gives them the language that they don't have. And it's a recurring theme that Mark is constantly saying in the show and, and to other people as well, that he is isolated, he is lonely, he is desperate for a voice that will help him to connect with everyone else. And the revelation for him in the end is, sometimes that voice is you.
0: Aerosmith said that. Did they? The light at the end of the tunnel may be you. It's supposed to be kind of a gag. And there's a double-edged sword in trying to say something that sounds profound because it sounds often cod and self-important, like you're looking to force meaning into something that you're saying. But certain universal truths exist, whether it's at the behest of our own self-importance or not. Maybe you will change a life. Amazing. Amazing. yeah. And there's speaking of Aerosmith, there's some really good music choices in this film. It has kind of a punky uh, mentality to it. and
1: it was my introduction to Leonard Cohen.
0: yeah. Alan Moyle has got a real knack for finding teenagers' voices, specifically in the 90s, uh, being compassionate to teenage problems, whilst at the same time kind of uh, allowing the silly ones to to sort of play themselves out, this happens throughout Empire Records, picking excellent pieces of music, uh, and also being completely fucking ignored by all teenagers and all regular audiences. (laughs) These are not widely beloved movies. And one film we haven't seen of his, Times Square, from 10 years beforehand in 1980, is again about teenagers from the wrong side of the tracks. Story by Alan Moyle, inspired by a diary found on a second-hand couch bought by Moyle, detailing the life on the streets of a young, mentally disturbed woman. We've got to find this thing. And Tim Curry's in it. But he had the film taken away from him and re-edited, so it was one of those, this is a man who doesn't work within the studio system. Mm. He is, in effect, his own Hard Harry. Yes. Yeah, he retired from directing and began working on screenplays for ten years. And he wrote this screenplay and was persuaded uh, to direct this film. He wanted um, John Cusack for, uh, for Mark. But Cusack didn't want to play uh, high school students forever. Cusack would have been 24 at the time. Slater, 21. Convincingly young in the film, uh, Christian Slater. I think it's because of his vulnerability. Which, again, uh, Cusack would have uh, uh, shown very well. I feel like Cusack spent so much of his years and early 20s playing asshole high school kids mm. and then he played Lloyd Dobler and it was almost like he was like oh that was that was the one that was the one from Say Anything I don't need to do any more of these yeah. anything else I do will just be a, a footnote and, uh, and and so he stopped and started playing you know adults instead I find it of note that Harry mentioned in that opening monologue that we were in the middle of a decade where everything has been done Since this was released in 1990, they were at the beginning and the end of a decade. This is almost certainly a holdover from the fact that the script was probably written in the mid-80s. But it's very possible to measure decades without rounding down to the nearest zero. And 1995 was very different from 1990. And again, very different in the year 2000. Moyle uh, describes um, uh, Mark as an amalgam of Holden Caulfield and Lenny Bruce. Holden Caulfield's a loaded phrase right now uh, as as a terminology to describe teenage boys because ultimately angry, obstinate, opinionated young men are worse now than they were in the 90s. I feel like because they can get together with each other and encourage the worst in each other.
1: Well, ultimately, the the layer of anonymity that the internet provides has enabled people Mm. to to utilise the platform that gives them a voice in order to do terrible things. And again, this is another reason that this is an old film.
2: Yeah. Uh,
0: And the other person that he's like is Lenny Bruce, and uh, he... Has to get credibility as an outsider, as the last angry man on the planet. He uses all the foulest language you can think of and pretends to masturbate in the air. He's obsessed with sex and death. He's very goth for someone who's not really a goth.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: Uh, and the school in the film Hubert Humphrey High is based on a Montreal high school where uh, Moyle's sister who I'm assuming Ellen Green was basically playing uh, used to teach uh, that according to Moyle had a principal who had a pact with the staff to enhance the credibility of the school scholastically at the expense of the students who were immigrants or culturally disabled in some way or another and I noted as all of the students in this were being read out as ones who had been relieved of duty of being students seemed to have ethnically charged last names Yes. And yet the film doesn't really hone in on that. It's there if you want to read it, mm. but it doesn't say the... Well, there's there's plenty of white honour students who end up getting completely fucked over by the system whenever they say, um, could I just maybe not and just start to stand up for themselves.
1: Yeah, but ultimately those are the students that they want to keep, maintain and hone into the expression of success. Yeah. And it is a very narrow definition of success in order to make the reputation of the school the the priority above all things. Yeah. And one of the, 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 the arc that the principal goes on and how her story ends up, which again, we're not synopsising, so I'm not going to go into detail, but fundamentally one of the things that makes me kind of really want to bite my own tongue off about this is that she is, she is ethically bereft. She does all sorts of things that have precisely no moral element to them whatsoever and most of them she would completely get away with there is one thing she does that actually tips her over into criminal and that is the thing that ultimately um Mark's father who is the school district um Administrator, or something of that, you know, he's her boss basically, Mm -hmm. is able to fire her for that one thing. Nothing else she does is technically illegal, and he wouldn't have any power over her if she hadn't thought, I can do whatever the fuck I want, even this thing which is illegal.
0: But this is from the era when uh, people could do shit in films that would get them fired, Mm. and we're now living in an era where people can do shit. All day and night and all year long, none of it will get them fired. Absolutely.
1: Well, it's it's effectively an echo of the what the organised criminals end up going down for is tax evasion, because yeah. it's the thing we have paperwork for.
0: It disturbs the status quo, anything which doesn't toe it's the line. It's
1: financial. It takes money out of the uh, designated person's pocket and puts it into the pocket of the criminal.
7: There's a, there's a saying about wealth. There's a saying about fortunes. And the saying is, behind every great fortune is a great crime. Behind every great fortune is a great crime. And there's some truth to that, because some of the richest, most powerful people in the United States are the descendants of drug dealers. Your Kennedys, your brothmans it's all drug money. They call it bootlegging, but that's just a white word that means drug dealing. okay? <laughs> they didn't sell boots. They sold the crack of their day, okay? They killed cops and kids, and that's cool. Good for them. Now... When it's time for other people to come up and acquire wealth, you know, the rules change. And one of the number one rules in America when it comes to acquiring wealth goes like this. The rule is only the white man can profit from pain. Only the white man can profit from pain. So if you're black or brown, you can make money in America. You can prosper in America. You can get rich in America. But whatever you decide to do, it better be positive. Because if one person is harmed, you will be destroyed, okay? White man makes alcohol. Tastes great. I love it, you love it, we all love it. Kills motherfuckers every single day, okay? White man makes cigarettes. Cigarettes, the most dangerous product known to man, okay? Kills motherfuckers every fucking day. Cigarettes are so dangerous, it kills motherfuckers that don't smoke. That's how fucking dangerous cigarettes are. Shit, could you imagine if the Philip Morris family was a bunch of jerry Curl niggas from Mississippi? <laughs> Do you know how illegal a pack of cigarettes would be? You would get 60 years for a pack of Newports. But it's all right, because it's all right. That's right. White man makes guns. Nobody gives a fuck. White man makes guns. Kids shoot up each other in schools. Nobody gives a fuck. White man makes guns. No problem. Black rapper says gun. Congressional hearing. <laughs> Yo, I thought the you was based upon freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of your own religion to make your own decision. Ask baloney, Cause if I gotta play by your rules, I'm being phony. Yo, I got the cater to this person and that person. I got the rhyme for the white or the black person. Why well, can it all be equal? Music is a universal language for all people. I better get off the rambling tip before somebody else am them starting to slip. I ain't tripping. I'm steadily flowing and going. Giving you a dope style, keeping me on top of the pile.
0: So tell us about Nora, because we haven't really gone into Samantha Mathis' character, and she was obviously uh, someone that you looked up to, or, or at least thought that is someone I can vibe with.
1: Absolutely. They both are, to be honest with you. Uh, Nora is a classmate of Mark's. She is um, a little bit more punky than him, although she does have similar senses of isolation going on. Uh, She's seen hanging out with a particular friend and seems a little bit more confident and able to express herself in public. Not much, but some. Certainly more than Mark can. And she is obsessed with Happy Harry Hardon, is conducting her own investigations into who he might be. She's convinced it's somebody at the school, so she's constantly noting clues in the the broadcast. Yeah,
0: she's a detective. She's gone full Nancy Drew. She
1: has a bit, yeah. Nancy Drew
0: with um, dark, filthy poetry.
1: Yes, because how she interacts with Harry is uh, he has a, a... mailbox where he receives letters from his listeners
0: a p.o box yeah. a p.o
1: box that's the word i was looking for thank you and she writes him poetry and uh, very specifically she always uses red writing paper she always uses a black marker and it's very sultry poetry shall we say it's not Graphic or explicit but it is very erotically charged erotically charged yes and uh, Mark is understandably quite drawn to this poetry and there's this kind of cat and mouse thing going on where she's she wants to know who he is and he wants to know who her she is and they kind of keep passing in the corridors and not knowing who the other is and it's I mean they don't drag it out too long but it's it's there and I quite like that Mm. and now all my horny listeners Get one hand
3: free because, yes, the eat-me-beat-me lady is back. Come in. Every night you enter me like a criminal. Break into my brain, but you're no ordinary criminal. You put your feet up and you
1: pop a Pepsi. You You start start to to party. You turn up my stereo.
3: Songs I've never heard, but I move anyway.
1: You get me crazy. I say, do it.
3: I don't care what, just do it.
1: Jam
4: me, jack me, push Push, me, pull pull me, talk hard!
3: hard. I like that. Talk hard. I like the idea that a voice can just go somewhere uninvited. Just kind of hang out like a dirty thought and a nice, clean mind. Maybe a thought is like a virus, you know? It can it can kill all the healthy thoughts and just take over. That would be serious.
5: <sighs> that would be too totally yeah. serious. I know
3: that all of my horny listeners would love it if I would call up Beat Me Beat Me Lady, but no! Because she never encloses her number.
4: Tough luck,
3: creepoid. Always the same red paper. Same beautiful black writing. Mm. Yeah. She's probably a lot like me. A legend in her own mind. <laughs> but you know what? I bet in real life she's probably not that wild. I bet she's kind of shy, like so many of us briskly walk in the halls. Tending to be late for some class, pretending to be distracted.
2: Hey, poultry
3: lady, are you really this cool? You out there? You listening? I'm always out here. I feel like I know you, and yet... We'll never meet. <sighs> so be it. Well, here's a song from my close personal buddies back east, the Beastie Boys. Song that was so controversial they couldn't put it on their first album. But a little nightmare. The corner this one time.
1: Yeah, she eventually hits on a plan to track down exactly who he is, and that's one of the turning points in the story. But Nora is. You can't really put her in any particular group. She is very gothic kind of but she's not goth all the time it's it's kind of you get the impression that she's exploring lots of different identities in terms of the fashion that she wears and the things that she draws and the stuff that she enjoys and that's what teenagers are supposed to be doing they're supposed to be able to have the freedom to try out different things and You know, maybe the thing that your parents do, you really click with and actually following that path is really right for you. But until you've had the opportunity to try a couple of other things and decide that they're really not for you, how can you be certain? And this is where the midlife crisis stems from. People hit their late 30s, early 40s and they go, oh shit, I just followed the path that I was meant to and never went outside it. Who am I really? and there's all sorts of existential questions that if you are if you are held in one place by a society that thinks it's doing the right thing for you but is very restrictive then you will end up feeling like it's not okay to ask those questions and nora feels like somebody who is of any, of everybody else in the film, she's the character who is most likely to say, well, fuck that, these are my questions and I will ask them, thank you. And that's she, so she's got a very personal reason for clicking with what Harry is putting out there. And yes, you are accurate in your assessment that that was something that I felt very strongly. She was way more confident and able to express those things than I ever was. But um, yeah... She kind of gave me a bit of a template to go, that, I'm keeping it in my back pocket, I might come back to that later.
0: So you were, as a teenager, always looking for someone who could meet you on that level, even though you were scared of the idea of actually pulling that part of yourself out?
1: Yes, although at that age, I didn't necessarily know that that's what I was looking for.
0: So you get the idea. It's kind of a superhero movie of sorts. He's a mild-mannered Peter Parker type by day at school, but at night he becomes hard harry this persona and he uses that initially to express himself but as he starts getting letters his remit becomes i will listen to you i will recognize you you will be heard and eventually that becomes make your voice heard and the kids at school are recording his shows on tape and then passing them around. He's spreading through a network of his fans, which leads him to an inevitable clash with the school guidance counsellor, into whose territory he is encroaching.
3: I hate the 60s, I hate school, I hate principals, I hate vice principals. But my true, pure, refined hatred is reserved for guidance counsellors. Happy Harry just happens to have in his very hands a copy of a memo written by one Mr. David Deaver, guidance counselor extraordinaire, to one Miss Loretta Crestwood, high school principal. I find Cheryl unremorseful about her unfortunate condition. Bastard can't even say she's knocked
4: up. What channel?
3: And she's unwilling to minimize its effect on the morale of the student population. Guidance counselors. If they knew anything about career moves but they've ended up as guidance counselors? What do you say we call Deaver up, huh? <laughs> Our hair just happens to have the home phone numbers of every employee of the Paradise Hills School Commission. Here we go. There you are, Mr. Deaveski. Uh,
4: Deaver residents, David Deaver speaking.
3: You're live. We're doing a piece on high schools. Uh, We understand that you're a guidance counselor. I'm
8: head of guidance here at uh, Hubert Humphrey High in uh, Paradise
3: Hills, Arizona. I've
8: been here seven years.
3: Uh, Could you tell us a bit about what you do? I run a comprehensive American values program uh, uh, in which uh, we discuss uh, ethical situations, uh, sex education, Drug what do you awareness? say to young people who look around at the world and see that it's become, you know, like a a sleazy country, you know, a a place you just can't trust? Like your school, for example. How come it wins all of these awards and yet students are dropping out like flies? Why why is that? Now, my listeners are are curious about your participation in the decision to expel Cheryl Biggs. I I I uh I'm not aware Uh, Anything like that. I don't know what you're talking about. That's not true, sir. Cheryl refuses to accept suggestions of a more positive mental attitude towards her health and her future. I'm afraid I find no alternative but to suggest suspension. Who is this? How how did you get this number? Do you admit it, sir? Admit what? That you're a slime. Now, wait just a minute. You interview a student, and then you rat on her. You betray her trust. Isn't that right, sir? Well, as you can see... These guys are played out. Society is mutating so rapidly (laughs) (laughs) that anyone over the age of 20 really has no idea.
0: Trigger warning for described interfamilial sexual abuse. Spin on a few minutes if you need to.
3: All right, back down to business. I share a room with my older brother nearly every night after he turns off his light. He comes over to my bed and gives me a few arm nuggies and stuff. And then he makes me scratch his back and other refinements. Well, it's about time we had some refinements on this show. Uh, Then, sooner or later, he gets worked up, and without further ado, he rubs his thing and makes me watch. Signs yourself screwed up. Well, first of all, you're not screwed up. You're You're an unscrewed up reaction to a screwed up situation. You see, feeling screwed up in a screwed up place, in a screwed up time, does not mean that you're screwed up, if you catch my drift. Now, as you know, dear listeners, if you uh, enclose your number, the reply is, is guaranteed. Hello? This is Happy Harry on your live. Is this Miss Screwed Up? Yes. Well, I have a couple of questions. How big is it, this thing you described? Is it bigger than a baby's arm? What, you don't remember or you don't want to tell me? (laughs) Or maybe you made this whole thing up, huh? Remember, my dear, I can smell a lie like a fart in a car. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's too bad about that one, actually. You see, to me, the real truth is always a bigger turn on. It doesn't have to be a big deal.
8: It could be anything. Malcolm, have you finished your homework yet? Your father and I are downstairs watching TV.
2: Why don't you come down and join us for once? No. All right, Malcolm. Have it your way. Thanks.
0: So the story about being molested by her brother turned out to be a hoax to get attention from that girl, which I, on this viewing, was like, oh, why do they even do that? That kind of discredits people who come forward with allegations of abuse. But there is an actual narrative function that it plays in the story. And that is that it wrong-footed Harry so that he didn't take seriously enough his next genuine, serious confession. So as we can see, the problems are mounting up in this school. The guidance counsellor, the source of actual support in the school, the legitimate person to go to with your problems, is yet another tool to force you into line to get you to behave like everybody else and pretend that your problems don't exist. So this is an absolute betrayal of trust from adults to children, as he is someone who will actively seek your expulsion from the group if you don't fall into line and when called on it, turns to jelly. So then Harry becomes somewhere between an agony aunt, a guidance counselor, a shrink, a big brother, and a priest, someone that kids can actually talk to who genuinely tries his best to handle the situation with what zero training he has. And the fact that he can't be professional about it because it isn't his job and it never was. And they don't appear to have allowances for young people supporting other young people. It does lead to a tragedy which informs upon the rest of
3: the film. Hi, it's me. You're on the air. Are you willing to tell my listeners? What you told me here in this letter, I think they're, they're ready to handle it. I'm not ashamed.
0: Trigger warning, homophobia, again, spin on a few minutes if you need to, but this one at least doesn't end in the tragedy that
8: I'm talking about.
3: So tell us what happened. This guy knew. He
8: invited me up to the ridge and well, I wasn't really sure why, but I was really happy because he's pretty cool. He's an athlete and everything.
3: First of all, when was this and how, how old are you?
8: Just before school.
3: I'm 16. Go ahead.
8: So we get up there. We take off our shirts. And we start fooling around. And then I sort of told him how much I liked him. He just smiled and said he knew it. And then he says, why don't we take our pants off and get a tan? So I did it. but he stalled. Go ahead. Then two of his friends showed up and they were drinking beer and laughing. They took my clothes and threw them up in the trees. I didn't know what to do. I I started to cry, but, but they just laughed at me, so I stopped and they start calling me things. I don't even care about that. I mean, I know I'm into guys, but this was different. What did you do? Everything. Everything they
3: told me. I'm calling the police. Fraud, pornography. He is just using those poor kids.
4: That's the 13th call tonight. Sounds like kids bullshitting to me.
3: I don't know. Things like that happen when you're a kid. I think you're forgetting what it's like when you're young.
0: This has caught the attention of the cops. This has caught the attention of the school who are furious. And this has caught the attention of the press. Throw so in the church, and you've got the four keepers of morality. The ones who dictate to us how we must live and what rules we must abide by. Come on, Chef. You get some kid to call in with some story they've concocted. It isn't real. Who cares It it's real? Hey, people are riveted.
8: Let's go.
3: No, if people are rebroadcasting this thing over state lines. I, I think it's time to bring in the feds. This is FCC jurisdiction. I feel
8: bad that I didn't even do anything. I didn't even say anything. Now he won't even talk to me. He won't even look at me. I'm pretty confused.
3: Confused? You're not the one who's confused. You sound like you know exactly what's going on. If anyone's confused, it's those guys out there. I know,
8: but I think about them a lot. Sometimes I wonder why one person is born one way, and another person is born another way. Are you there? Yeah, yes. So I guess you think I'm a faggot wimp, right?
3: No, no, I'm just thinking how strong people can be. And how everyone is alike in some way. And how everyone needs the same things. So what are we going to do about all this? I don't know. That's the big question, isn't it, huh?
0: he tries his best with this kid it's a it's a broken and unresolved scenario and i don't necessarily think that the film has an obligation to resolve that scenario mm. its remit is to illustrate to kids watching other kids are going through this shit this is a genuine real scenario and you aren't weak mm. for ...being involved in this.
1: Yeah, I mean, it emphasises the virtue and value of peer support over and above professional support. There is, I think, one mention of professional therapy when Mark's parents start to very gently suggest that maybe he might want to think about seeing a psychiatrist, but the conversation very rapidly devolves and it it ends up feeling like they're trying to push him towards what they feel are solution-focused answers to what they perceive as his problems. And in the end, the, the idea of him seeing a psychiatrist gets firmly pushed away. There's a uh, professional guidance counsellor at the school who clearly thinks he wants what's in the kids' best interests, but his methods are wildly useless and inappropriate, and part of the problem is that he's part of the system that's oppressing them, so why would they trust him? Yeah.
0: If the conclusion of the system is that the pieces that don't fit within it, rather than needing help and support, need to be thrown away and ejected, Why should we trust the system?
1: And this is why that idea of of talking to somebody who's been through what you've been through is kind of played as, this is what you need. We need connections between us who were going through this before we start looking beyond that.
0: I was sent to a guidance counsellor in the uh, early 90s. Uh, This is after I've been threatened repeatedly with therapy by my father, who didn't understand that therapy was not giving up on someone. Uh, As far as he was concerned, therapy is is just the last... Thing you do before they put a straitjacket on you. It was very. It was a school guidance counselor, and he was very much at a, a no more larking about, no more ballyhoo mm-hmm. from Goodwill Hunting yeah. guy. Just someone who couldn't in any way reach kids. Mm-hmm. And how do I reach these kids? He he made me feel more alone, yeah. more isolated, mm-hmm. more separated from the other kids who seemingly didn't need to be told this.
1: Yeah. Well, the, the concept of guidance and support within school is very different these days. But, but back then, I would say, from the sounds of things on both sides of the Atlantic, guidance counsellors and, and, um, and the, the person in your school who was there for that purpose, it seems to be very much focused on um, career advice. And if we can just get you on the right path then everything else will fall into place, which is exactly what this is pointing out is a bad idea.
0: The idea being the only thing that teenagers need to ask themselves is, what job do I slot myself into after high school?
1: Exactly. If I can find the right pigeonhole to put myself in, then everything else will be fine. And if you are a star-shaped peg that everybody is trying to force into a square hole, then that's not going to work.
0: Very true. And then there's Malcolm Kaiser, who uh, sends Harry a uh, an extremely frank and painfully honest letter. Trigger warning, serious depression, and suicide
3: talk. I don't know. Drugs are out. Sex is out. Politics are out. Everything is on hold. I mean, we definitely need something new. I just keep waiting for some new voice to come out of somewhere and just say, Hey, wait a second. What is wrong with this picture? Just take a look around. Well, maybe this is the answer to everything. Wouldn't that be nice, huh? Dear hard Harry, do you think I should kill myself? Great. Signed, I'm serious. And, of course, there is a number here.
2: <laughs> My look.
0: In terms of chronology, this comes immediately after... The girl hoaxing him about her brother, but before the gay
3: kid. Hello, serious? Yeah. Are you okay? Yep. I guess what I'm asking is how serious are you? Well, how are you gonna do it? I'm gonna blow my fucking head off. Oh. Well, do you do you have a gun?
2: No, I'm gonna use my finger genius.
3: <laughs> Alright, so uh Where, where is this gonna take place, huh? Right here. Hmm. Well, where is this alleged gun, huh? Do you, do you have it with you? Did you at least write a note? I mean, you have a reason, don't you? I mean, you're, you're not gonna be one of those people who kills themselves and nobody has any idea why they did it, huh? That's why we need a note, pal. Oh, Oh, hey, look. May- maybe it's okay to be alone sometimes. I mean, I. Well, everybody's alone. You're not. I-, I didn't talk to one person today, not, not counting teachers. I sit alone every day, you know, sitting in the stairwell, eating my lunch, reading a book. What about you? I hate that. Now I'm depressed. (laughs) Now I feel like killing myself, but luckily I'm too depressed to bother. Great. He's got the phone off the hook now. Rejected again. That's okay, I'm used to it. Terminal loneliness. People always think they know who a person is, but they're always wrong.
4: Eats lunch on stairs. My parents have no
3: idea. His mind had me tested because I sit alone in my room all day, naked, wearing only a cock ring. It <laughs> really bugs me. Everyone thinks they know how a person should be. Who cares how I should be, you know? I mean, in real life, I I could be that anonymous nerd sitting across from you in chem lab, staring at you so hard. And when you turn around, he tries to smile, but the smile just comes out all wrong. You just think how
2: pathetic. And he just looks away. Never
3: looks back at you again. Well, hey, who cares, uh, huh? That's my motto. Well, sleep tight, Cheryl. Sleep tight, Miss Refinements. Sleep tight, poetry lady. Sleep tight, Mr. Serious. Maybe you'll feel better tomorrow.
0: This is everything that Harry's uh, had to face up till now, amplified a thousandfold because this kid's life's on the line and it's put on Mark's shoulders to re- respond to it. And he's, again, not a professional. He can't deal with this kind of thing. He's nowhere near the Samaritans in the UK. I don't know if they, do they have that in, in America.
1: They, there are multiple crisis lines and, and um, services that you can contact, yeah. yeah.
0: So he tries his his best with what he has when, when put ridiculously under pressure and, and on the spot. Um, but Malcolm's problems run very deep. And what Harry says can't resolve them. And I'm, I'm not sure he could have said anything that could have resolved them, but the, the tragedy is that Malcolm then goes through with it. Which, when he finds out about... Uh, the death of a classmate in school the next day wrecks Mark because how could he not feel directly responsible for this and this is a weirdly imbalanced moment in the film because he is reeling from this and the film seems to be uh, entirely with him and that's when Nora, the eat-me-beat-me lady, decides to spring upon him when she uh, follows him and spots him uh, going into the P.O. box and uh, reading her red letter. And she's like, ha, got you. And he's just, this is really not the time for this. And she's like, oh, come on. And it just, in more recent years of watching, I just thought, Nora, this is very crass. And you said that Nora underthinks and uh, Mark overthinks. Mm. I'm reminded of something that Merlane said in um, The Princess Thieves. And it was in reference to pulling the sword from the stone.
4: The worst people who came here trying to pull it out all had one thing in common. I've seen, I've seen them come and go, and most of them were not happy with the immense power they already had and came looking for more. Apparently, the world owes them success. That fallen tree there was hacked down in a peak of frustration by a chap named Edgar of Glendale. He's dead now. And the best of them? The best of them come looking only to protect those weaker than they. It breaks my heart to see the look of hope in their eyes, to hold my breath along with them and believe just for a moment... That they will be the one who can solve the riddle of the sword. When they fail, as everyone does, it hits them far harder than the first lot I told you about. The self entitled lash out at a world that won't give them everything their little hearts desire. The selfless have nowhere to look but within, nobody to blame but themselves.
0: So many of these kids, so many of these people that fall under that umbrella have one thing in common and this applies to people in different ethnic groups people of disability, people on the spectrum, people on the rainbow, people who find it very very difficult to hold down just regular jobs, the impoverished, the homeless, those trapped in abuse, those whose hearts ache for some kind of connection that isn't coming We feel powerless. Malcolm felt powerless. Unable to affect his future. Unable to see a positive future. And I understand people who self-blame. People who self-blame too much for things that aren't their fault. It feels more reassuring to tell yourself this was totally your fault. Rather than trying to cast about for excuses or reasons why it wasn't. It feels dishonest and selfish to do anything different. It's actually more frightening to blame a cold hard system that won't support you. Because if it was your fault, then you surely have some measure of control over your life. And then there are people who think the exact opposite. The ones who go on about secret cabals and one-world governments acting behind the scenes controlling all of our lives because it's actually more comforting to believe that there's someone in charge who knows what they're doing. The chaos inherent in the idea that this could all just be happening without being planned is terrifying. So if you're self-blaming and someone comes along and tells you about this tragedy, there was nothing you could do. Sometimes that's not what you want to hear
1: particularly when you're in the middle of just trying to process the knowledge of it, let alone how you feel about it.
5: You're the voice, crying out in the wilderness. You're the voice that makes my
3: brain
4: burn and my guts go gooey. Yeah, you gut me. My insides spill on your altar and tell the future. My steaming, gleaming guts spell out your nature. I know you, not your name, but your game. I know the true you. Come to me, or I'll come to you. So you are him. Don't worry, I'm not going to bust to her. Aren't you going to ask who I am?
3: No, I don't think so, no.
4: I'm the eat me, beat me lady. But she don't believe me. I know you. Not your name, but your game. I know the true you. Come to me or I'll come to you.
5: Hey, relax, I'm not really like that.
4: Except when I am.
3: Look, I really can't handle this right now, okay?
4: Hey, look, 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 it's not your fault. I mean, I was listening last night. I didn't think he'd go through with it.
0: This is a heavy episode, because we don't have uh, Harry's ability to just start jacking it. To uh, lighten the mood Well
1: we could But uh, I
0: don't uh, We'd get taken I we've off the Patreon we got
1: marker But still
0: <laughs> We don't have an OnlyFans account
1: explicit <laughs> Yet
0: He doesn't actually jack it He just simulates no. it By clapping his hands together yeah. Like a monkey
1: Or smacking a golf club On the sofa yeah. Or something Depending on how big He wants to go
0: This is uh, Around about the time That the kid kills himself Um uh, is when the second act starts and the witch hunt begins, mm-hmm. and it's it's a film of two halves. Prior to this dreadful scenario, and after it, after it, it feels like Harry is has well, Mark has pushed too far, gone too deep, and wants to burn the whole thing. He's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I, I I was I should not have been the person that this boy talked yeah, to. Yeah, panics, understandably, entirely, and he's that he actually is is a, a pretty good protagonist for us to get behind he's very rarely ridiculously irresponsible Mm. repeatedly he's calling out the irresponsibility of uh, parents and teachers who should know better and should support kids more Mm. and you've got honour students who are Exhausted with trying to maintain perfection or the illusion of perfection, and I'm reminded of Liv Tyler's Corey in uh, Empire Records. Oh, definitely,
1: yeah, yeah, definitely a spiritual successor to Paige.
0: Hmm. Paige is a girl whose father's like, Yeah, good for you, Paige. She's I'm also reminded of um, Diane Court in um, Say Anything, There's someone who has sculpted their entire life around being the one who attains the grades, keeps mm. the grades and is kind of seen as a, a princess of achievement mm. by the establishment and especially her pressuring parents.
1: Well, there is a there is a particular way of looking at the world when you've grown up being shown the hoop over and over again. And you jumped through the hoop because it was clear that that was what was expected of you. Not because you were being bullied or pushed particularly, but just because they gave you the hoop and you thought that was what you were supposed to do. And at some point, usually in your teenage years, but it can be later, you suddenly go, why am I jumping through this hoop again? And everybody loses their mind because you're asking a question that they never thought you were going to ask. They think it's obvious the purpose of jumping through the hoop. They never bothered to tell you. They thought you just knew you were jumping through it, so obviously you knew what it was for, but no.
0: Once again, I'm reminded of the DreamWorks and PDI animated film Ants, when the workers uh, are told, get back to work, and they say, why? And the soldiers and uh, the foremen of the workers are like, They're asking
2: why?
1: but it's And and that is going on right now. As we speak, we've got a global economy being led by people who are going, well, you have to go back to work in your offices, and, and you have to go back and shop in the shops, and you have to go back and eat in the restaurants.
0: And you need to go back to minimum wage. We'd pay you less, but they won't let us.
1: Exactly, and people are not en masse, but quite a lot of people are looking at them and going, why? And they haven't quite got an answer formulated yet. And it's making them very scared. Well,
0: because the answer is, because the system, the status quo, well, the cogs that were oh, moving before.
1: The, the honest answer is, but but my big house and, and my big bank account, and if my the economy worry. doesn't keep funneling upwards, then how am I going to maintain those things? You have to go back to your minimum wage job at in cafes, otherwise how am I going to live?
0: See, now Mark has a problem. Everybody knows that a poor kid took his own life and the last person he spoke to was Harry. So what is Harry going to do about it? Does he quit? Close this down now. Consider that what he does causes more damage than it fixes. So everyone's ears are glued to the radio, listening out to what he's going to do. How is he going to respond? What is he going to tell them? And this is the point where the film makes it abundantly clear the important person isn't Harry, it's all of them. They are all in this together.
2: Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with...
3: You see, I never planned it like this. My dumb dad got me this shortwave radio set so I could just speak to my friends back east. But I couldn't reach anybody. I thought I was talking to nobody. I imagine nobody listening. Maybe I imagine that one person out there. Anyway... One day I woke up and I realized I was never gonna be normal. So I said, fuck it. I said, so be it. And happy Harry Hardon was born. But I never meant to hurt anyone. Honestly. I never meant to hurt anyone. I'm sorry, Malcolm. I never said, don't do it. I'm sorry.
5: Uh, Anyway,
3: that's, that's it. Show's over. I'm done. Stick a fork in me. It's been grand. This is hard, Harry, saying sayonara. Over and out. Come
6: on,
1: you can't do this. This is a joke, right?
3: Come on, Harry, baby,
2: don't stiff.
3: What am I doing? Fuck it. You hear about some kid did something stupid something desperate. What possessed him? How could he do such a terrible thing? Well, come here. It's really quite simple, actually. <sighs> Consider the life of a teenager. Huh? You have parents and teachers telling you what to do. You have movies, magazines, and TV telling you what to do. But you know what you have to do. Huh? Huh? Your job, your purpose, is to get accepted, get a cute girlfriend, to think up something great to do for the rest of your life. What if you're confused and can't imagine a career? What if you're funny looking and you can't get a girlfriend? You see, no one wants to hear it. But the terrible secret is that being young is sometimes less fun being dead. This is great. He's making it worse. The interesting thing about it is how uncomplicated it seems. You know? And there, there you are. You got all these problems swarming around in your brain. And here is one simple, one incredibly simple solution. Well, I'm just surprised it doesn't happen every day around here. Now, now, they're gonna say I said offing yourself is simple, but no, 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 it's not simple. It's like everything else, you have to read the fine print. For instance, assuming that there is a heaven, who would ever wanna go there? You know, I mean, think about it. It's cool, you know, you're sitting there up on this cloud, it's nice, you know, it's quiet, there's no, there's no teachers, there's no parents, but guess what? There's nothing to do, it's fucking boring. Another thing to remember about suicide is... <laughs> it is not a pretty picture. First of all, you shit your shorts, you know? So there you are, dead. People are weeping over you, crying. Girls you never spoke to are saying, why, why, why? <laughs> and you have a load in your shorts. That's the way I see it, sue me. Now, they're saying I-, I shouldn't think stuff like this. You know, they're saying something is wrong with me, that I should be ashamed. Well sick of being ashamed. Me, hey, aren't you?
4: Sick to death.
3: I don't mind being dejected and rejected, but I'm not going to be ashamed about it.
4: Hallelujah. At least pain is
3: real. You, you look around and you see nothing is real, but at least pain is real. You know, even the show isn't real. This isn't me. I'm using a voice disguiser. I'm a phony fuck just like my dad. Just like anybody. You see, the real me is just as worried as the rest of you. They say I'm disturbed. Of course I'm disturbed. I mean, we're all disturbed, and if we're not, why not? Doesn't this blend of blindness and blandness want to make you do something crazy? Then why not do something crazy? It makes a hell of a lot more sense than blowing your fucking brains out. You know, go nuts, go crazy, get creative. You got problems, you just chuck them, nuke them. They think you're moody, make them think you're crazy. Make them think you might snap. They think you got attitude, you show them some real attitude. Ah, I'll be going nuts! Get crazy! Hey! No more Mr. Nice Ah!
0: Guy! And in this shared catharsis all the kids start screaming, throwing things. Paige puts all of her trophies and medals and awards in the microwave, sits down and watches it explode. Don't do that, by the way, it's extremely dangerous. But they're jumping around and they're dancing in the street. And this time my brain went to Janelle Monae, an artist I've been studying all year, who fascinates me. And I'll be talking about her a lot coming up. She's the leading word in Afrofuturism in music. She's been producing a series of operas, For more than a decade telling the saga of a future where the plight of androids is analogous with the continued slavery of the african-american community but one of the things she effectively preaches is rebellion through dance we are all captives but they can't stop us dancing even if we dance badly it is our expression of freedom especially if we dance badly I'm going to play you tightrope now, which she filmed in an old asylum, dancing through the halls in a tuxedo.
7: Monet <laughs> Left Foot So you fall into the gap. It's a challenge, but I manage because I'm cautious with the strap. Do damage to your cabbage that I thought cannot pass. See why you don't want no reason like the back of a matchbook. That if that we will fold you in your macbook close clothes show shut you down before we go, go backwards. Act up and whether we high or low, we're going to get back up. Like the Dow Jones and Azdaq. It's sort of like a thong in to ass crack. Come on. I tip on alligators and little
6: rattlesnakes, But I'm another flavor, something like a Terminator.
0: Paige gets up and speaks out in front of the uh, parents and um, she tries to convey how much pressure she's been put under and how Harry is in fact helping the kids by listening to them and speaking to them and speaking for them. And there's like a lot of flashbulbs go off in her face. She's sort of dragged out and dragged off the podium with her. Yeah, yeah, come on, good girl, good girl. Come on, off we go, come on. And she, tragically, but incredibly appropriately for real life, she goes crazy on camera. She starts, like, you know, going, ah, freaking out because they've driven her to that. There's there's nowhere else for her to go. She's tried telling them the truth. They're not listening. They're telling her to shut up.
1: Well, she goes, she, I mean, it's, it's something that she's, putting on its she's not doing it because she is I mean she obviously is genuinely confused by this overwhelming throng of, of reporters but the the growling at them is a, a sort of a put on to try and get them to back off in an effort to confuse them you think? but she goes into this kind of
0: I think she's her, just got nowhere else to go well
1: her ways of expressing herself from this point inwards are non-verbal where even when she goes past Nora when she gets to the sports field they, they use hand gestures to communicate with each other They give each other the thumbs up, but they don't really speak.
0: Nora and Mark are also growing closer. But again, their relationship seems to be largely non-verbal. They've already gotten into each other's minds. She doesn't demand that he play a character for her, and there is a sweetness to them finding each other in a dark place. She's able to bullshit the parents and be, ah, the girlfriend we've been hoping our son would finally hook up with, that will sort out all his problems. Going to be a longer road than that. Go into why uh, you uh, have said that it's a very 31-year-old film mm. because that's okay. interrelated to, to how he concludes the film.
1: Absolutely. So there's a, there are a couple of moments throughout the film, maybe maybe three, maybe four, where. Mark says something which is clearly intended to be very profound for 1990. And all I could do was cover my eyes with my hands and go, oh, for the love of God, Mark, shut up. In, in, one in particular towards the end, um, when he says... Uh, hang on, where are we? Right, so it, it, there's there's one that he says earlier on where he's talking about the fact that... And this this does... He does sum up the feelings of late Gen X incredibly well I was there yes this is what a lot of people felt like <laughs> um, the the idea that there is nothing new out there that everything is starting to feel recycled um, that uh, everything the way he phrases it is everything is on hold we feel like we need something new we need something to break open and shake up the system and all I could think of was be fucking careful what you wish for and By the end, the way he's, uh, the way he's summing it up when he talks to the, the group of students that have gathered to hear his kind of final broadcast is that it is terrible being a teenager, but that's the point, that you are at the bottom of the heap as far as society is concerned. It cannot get any worse. And looking from the lofty heights of 2021, we of course know that the phrase you never, ever, ever say is, it can't, can't get any worse. It can get any worse. It can always get worse, Mark. It can always get worse. And so by that point, I was kind of like, I love you, but I am banging my head on the desk right now.
2: It
0: reminds me of a, a line from Data Confused, which was made in 1993, looking back on 1976, where Marissa Rabisi says, uh, you know, the, the 50s sucked, the 60s ruled, the 70s, they obviously suck. Maybe the 80s will be radical. Yeah. Shh, sh- sh- but that was a film made 17 years after the uh, era it's uh, talking exactly. about, uh, saying, I get that we were fucked off with Watergate mm-hmm. and the sense of uh, deflation that America was feeling at that point, but
1: trickle-down economics were not the solution, people.
0: The Reagan era was not radical. It's not like it's going to skip uh, the, uh, the decade in the way that you're, you're thinking. It's a kind of a wry line. Mm. So that kind of makes... It can't possibly get any worse in true Generation X fashion with that surly, sardonic attitude that Harry has now shed expecting things to get worse so that that line can clang harder every time.
1: Like I said there's very much this sense that the I
0: did it ironically so I think I'm okay (laughs) (laughs)
1: There's, There's very much the sense that the kids in this environment really want the system to be shaken up but we are now in a position where the system has been shaken to within an inch of its life. Some people are panicking and clamping down really really hard so that they can try and stop it. Meanwhile others are clinging on by their fucking fingernails trying not to get thrown off.
0: And yet, for all its naivety, I can't fault the heart behind this speech. Jeez,
3: my harmonizer. Forget it, hold on. I gotta get us out
1: of here. Harry
0: and Nora have been driving around in a truck broadcasting as the cops and school close in. This is following mass expulsions of all the kids that are seen as troublemakers or spanners in the works. The principal's gone mad with power, and she doesn't care how many kids get left behind in her bid to maintain the school's reputation for excellence.
3: I needed that to disguise my voice.
4: Well, give me a minute, maybe we can fix it.
0: Look at this. And all the kids have gathered together outside in the dark to listen to what Harry has to say, but also to be unified against this shared threat which doesn't just want to ignore them, it wants to stomp on any semblance of rebellion.
3: No, I think I've got it. (sighs) Okay. This is really me now. No more hiding. Listen. We're all worried. We're all in pain. That just that comes with having eyes and with having ears. But just remember one thing. It can't get any worse. It can only get better. I mean, high school is the bottom. Being a teenager sucks, but that's the point. Surviving it is the whole point. Quitting is not going to make you strong. Living will. So just hang on and hang in there. You know, I I know all about the hating and the sneering. I'm a member of the why bother generation myself. But why did I bother to come out here tonight? And why did you? I mean, it's time. It begins with us, not with politicians, the experts, or the teachers, but with us. With you and with me, the ones who need it most. I believe, with everything that's in me, that the whole world is longing for healing. Even the, even the trees and the earth itself are crying out for it. I can hear it everywhere same kind of healing I desperately needed and finally feel has begun
2: with you
0: There's a bigger thing is going on in here. There's a witch hunt to find this dissenting voice in the wilderness, and they're, they're, all the the PTA are going insane. The, the principal who is expelling kids with low grade averages to keep their grade points high uh, is, is out for blood at this point. She uh, expels Nora. The larger thing that's at play here is that uh, the people are angry at Harry are the keepers of the status quo, who have a very firm hold on it, or they want to keep a vice-like grip on it. And what they're hearing is an early warning system. It's a detection system of the malaise of Generation X. This is probably going to create a generational shift whereby we don't have forward mobility, and they're not listening. And in retrospect, that makes this film remarkably prescient, Mm. because it talks of that the early warning systems are always told to be silent. They don't want their canaries down the mine. They want everyone to continue breathing gas normally.
1: Yes, but the thing that they miss and the thing that Cresswood, the principal misses, is if you expel everybody, what have you got? An empty school with three kids who are doing superbly well? Someone's going to notice.
0: So the way it ends is uh, Mark's dad is the one who gets the principal fired. So there is a, a, a literal victory there for the kids as mm-hmm. the this, this symbolic source of all their, the antagonism heaped upon them uh, gets relieved of her position of power. Mm-hmm. So they win that.
1: But it's ultimately a literal paternal authority figure steps in and saves them. Mm. And that's ultimately the thing that had to happen to end this particular cycle.
0: On the other hand, telling an oppressed minority that it's up to them to fix a broken system that oppresses them and that they're going to get no help from within that system is also a sentiment riven with troubles. There's an ideal where the right people within the system stand up and do the right thing, but it rarely happens in real life. But like I said, Harry ends this movie doing what he can, which is to drive around broadcasting his signal, rallying the isolated, the powerless, to unify into a movement. And he plays music like this. Basically, music designed to be the most annoying sound to parents ever. And after he's cornered and gets to deliver that speech, even as uh, Mark is arrested with a kind of a victorious talk hard, as he sort of winks at them and then gets put in the back of the paddy wagon. Paddy wagon, because I was born in 1932 uh, and dragged away to serve whatever justice he probably won't. Get hit too hard on the wrist. Maybe he'll spend some time in juvie. Mm. But
1: There's FCC violations. What really can yeah. they do to him?
0: Also, notably, his father and mother do seem, while they are throughout the film, uh, disconnected from him, and he feels like he can't trust them. They back him up mm. in the end.
1: Yeah, now that is true. And they they do have conversations that indicate that they have been system challenges, them- challenges themselves in the past. But for some reason, they are choosing not to right now.
0: Early, early boomers.
1: Yes.
0: And uh, we end on a bunch of pirate radio signals coming from across the land as, as people... As H- Harry's way of speaking the truth over this... Ha- what is it? Ham radio?
1: Um, it's it's a shortwave radio. It's, shortwave. it's a broadcast radio. It's not like a, a CB radio where you can literally only t- really talk to one other person. Um, Although that was the reason that he got it in the first place Apparently his dad was trying to help him connect with the friends From where they'd moved away from Uh, But it didn't work, it didn't reach far enough
0: So... If you say these things on the air and they can't stop you, then you make yourself something else entirely. <laughs> A legend, Mr. Hardarm.
1: Well, he is, yeah, he is <laughs> kind of, he's leaning on that concept and the, the way the film rounds out, it kind of...
0: Harry, you're going to be taken.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's it's saying that there is some truth in that, that ultimately if everybody gets up and speaks, they cannot silence all you of them. You
0: can't stop the signal. Yeah. Which is what happened but everyone else also started talking at the same time and screaming at the same time and it's really difficult to get to the voices of compassionate people telling the much-needed truth when there's a huge amount of this thing that you say exists doesn't exist change my mind Mm,
1: yes indeed and also if you do end up with somebody who has a big enough Soapbox, and he's shouting loud enough and is saying things that people respond to, depending on what they're saying, that way lies cult leaders. And that's bad too.
0: This injustice you say exists does not exist. Mm -hmm. Change my mind. I didn't expect the new alien show to be about social justice. I wanted it to only be about a carnivorous bee. I don't want stories to be about anything. Stories always have been about. Something. Something. Being told that injustices don't exist is one of the most frustrating experiences of living because you've been exposed to something that you can feel in your bones and you've done the reading and you've looked at the evidence and you know the facts. And that's just if you're on the outside, if you're actually on the inside and you have experienced that injustice yourself. If you're a woman, very aware of very real workplace inequality or you're trans and you know the ratio of harm inflicted versus abuse, assault and harm incurred is being perpetually skewed by those who would erase you and then someone actually has the brass to tell you stop saying this, it's devastating to our case if you continue to say this and their little lackeys will fucking fall into line Hmm. so yeah it's difficult to say what this film will be like to watch now. Especially if I... Like, it didn't grab Willow. Willow was not watching it with rapt attention.
1: Mm.
0: There was a kind of a disregard as Willow continued to work on their art project.
1: Mm. Yeah, Although they were listening and there were several moments where they looked up and something caught their attention. They seem to
0: approve. Mm. Usually they uh, react with a snide comment when something is... <laughs> <laughs> uh going over the line, and again I think the um one of the strengths of this film is that now thirty one years later uh mark remains a morally upright character, despite mm. the fact that he's disgusting absolutely yeah um I think the person who probably suffers the most is actually um Nora because it's we don't really get to see her internal self. She's so performative in the way that she talks to him as the Eat Me Beat Me Girl and then as herself, mm. it's difficult to see Nora doesn't possess that same kind of pain that a lot of her classmates do. Mm. So she maybe a a better version of this film would have had Nora sitting on a hell of a lot of pain of her own.
1: Yeah. We don't know her road out of this.
0: Yeah. We get that she's starstruck by him and that she's turned on by him in many different ways.
1: Mm.
0: And Samantha Mathis in her prime is a screen presence. That's for sure.
5: And there's just about time to thank all of Hard Harry's number one fans glued to their earbuds with ooey-bluey every week listening to this weird-ass podcast. And a huge shout-out to our top sponsors... Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Puneze, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson Joe G Josh Waster, Brand new to this list Josh, hello Cap Essman Kevin Vahey Lorraine Chisholm Mark Lux Marty Hui Matthew A. Siebert Matthew Webb Michael Haskell, Sarah Montgomery Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green Toby Jungius Tom Painter Trey Contreras and Valencia Burns Oh, it stirs the Creature Stirs.
0: But yeah, it's, it's going to be difficult to uh, track down. I'm glad that there is now a, a, an HD version of this available. I think Empire Records is probably easier to immediately love. Mm but at the same time this one comes off as more mature because there is a, a retrospection uh, element to it the the state of where people were in 1990 makes it feel almost like it could feasibly be a period piece much like days are confused especially in the, the print that it is now mm. you've got a young seth green in there in the crowd too yeah a
1: little seth green and a young Lin Shay.
0: that's true yeah with auburn hair I feel sorry that Alan Moyle was an unheard voice in the wilderness it's kind of perfect that this is one of the uh, films that he leaves behind as his legacy there's a a, an authenticity and a a compassionate need to broadcast the voices of teenagers who would otherwise fall through the cracks in his work Mm. so yeah that's Pump Up the Volume Which at no point in the soundtrack has Pump Up the Volume by M-A-R-R-S in it. And that's probably a good thing. It wouldn't really fit with the the pixies.
1: This is a really good example, by the way, of soundtracks getting pissed about with. Because if you get the soundtrack album for Pump Up the Volume, it does not have the version of Wave of Mutilation or the version of Everybody Knows that are in the movie.
0: Yeah, uh, Everybody Knows uh, by Leonard Cohen. It's done superbly here. I feel like, obviously it was covered in the uh, Joss Whedon kind of Justice League. We're probably going to get a film with Everybody Knows by Leonard Cohen in it at some point soon. And they're welcome to it because everyone's fucking forgotten this or never saw it in the first place. But it does feel like this did it well. It's got that roughness to it that justifies the use at the beginning. It feels like a signature theme. And uh, Wave of Mutilation, when I got Rock Band, it's the really, really fast one that everyone knows. And I went, oh, no, this is awful. And what I'm going to play for you now to close out is the version they use in the uh, film, Much Slower. The UK surf version. It is a song that feels like walking home at 7 in the morning. After a life-changing night, watching the sun come up and being lost in thought. Almost like the uh, they, they, they put the uh, single on the record player at uh, the wrong speed. <laughs> and it's like, oh, this really, really works. Yep,
1: I used to do that quite a bit with my uh, singles. Yeah, It's not good for your record player,
0: though. Kids won't even understand what that means. No, that- I barely understand it. I never had a record player.
1: Didn't you? Couldn't
0: tell you what RPMs are. Oh, wow. yeah.
1: Albums at 45 are funny as well. Everything sounds like the chipmunks.
0: <laughs> well, there you go, folks. Uh, but, yeah, the song I'm going to play for you now is uh, Wave of Mutilation uh, by the Pixies, the version you've never heard, which kind of outlines this as something uh, that, much like the film, is precious and rare and forgotten and unseen. A little gem amidst the, uh, the schmutz of uh, 1990. Oh, and this film is also uh, the uh, originator of a phrase that for some reason is abiding in our household. I've got something to show you. Is Is it it bigger bigger than than a baby's baby's arm? (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad we kept that one.
3: (laughs) Talk hard!
4: 7 FM in Springfield, and my show is Radioactive. Can anyone out there hear me? Of silence, let it out. This is Ethan from L.A., I'm 16, and I'm here but I'm car. not sweet. Are you if running I'm the streets? Teacher, call call the real runaway hot. KCAT, in Las Gatos, California. This is call I Am. Radio are you? This, this is No Protection, I'm from New Jersey. Hi, you're on the air. Turn on the truth.
0: You've been listening to Alex Shaw.
1: You've been listening to Sharon Shaw.
0: And talk hard.
7: Cease to exist.